We I, I t- just got a Texas football note I want to get to, but CB brings this up. And by the way, Greg Tepper, folks at Dave Campbell's Texas Football, I'd like to get uh, a framed copy of this magazine cover. The end of the Southwest Conference. Remember when DCTF had that yeah. really nice uh, kind of, I don't know, like lithograph type deal that was painted and, and had like Mike Singletary and Grant Taff and Darryl Royal, Earl Campbell. It was a really nice cover. The Southwest Conference ended today, Craig, 27 years ago. Yeah. Uh, what do you miss most about the South? Because I was a child of the Southwest Conference, right, in my formative years starting to watch football. The conference was mm-hmm. – well, you were right there smack dab in the middle of, you know, the wild, wild west portion of the 80s. I, I can remember the times of Coach Bible. <laughs> uh, yeah. What do you miss most about the Southwest Conference, if um, anything? Uh, no, there's, there's some things. I thought there was a, a – uh, there was a camaraderie, despite all the tattling that went on there, you know, in, in the 80s uh, uh, with regard to uh, the recruiting thing. Uh, th- th- some of this would have gone away anyway, even if the Southwest Conference had stayed intact, I think. But there was a communal environment. If you went into, say, a Lubbock on Friday night and uh, the, all of the media would be hosted out at a, a restaurant, you know, yeah. by uh, Lubbock's media relations staff. The late, uh, the great Joe Hornaday was the uh, was the, uh, the the media relations guy there for years and years. And the Texas people did the same thing with Bill Little and, and uh, John Bianco in, in in the late days of the Southwest Conference. And and no matter where you went, there was always that kind of uh, camaraderie type of feel mm-hmm. to it. Uh, even if, like you said, there were a lot of hard feelings with what went on with recruiting, those of us who worked in the business got a chance. So, yeah, there's some mi- missing of, of that. But I will say this, that even in the Big 12, you got to know everybody really well. And, and it wasn't always the case at the start. There was kind of a, a feeling of uh, those eight schools up north and the four down there. And, yeah. and a lot of it was the schools up north. Thought that that they were they Nebraska. were yeah thought that they were throwing the the four schools a bone, uh, the ones from the Southwest Conference by bringing them in, and that wasn't the case at all. They both needed each other at the time. Yeah, the Big Eight was dying as well. It yeah. just it, it just hadn't been diagnosed yet. Right. So it ended ended up working out. I know people credit the uh, the SEC, you know, adding Arkansas mm-hmm. and and South Carolina to go to twelve. And, and some people might say it's the WAC is the first super conference. The Big 12 really was, though, like the first super conference where you had this merging of leagues, mm-hmm. two historic leagues, the best of what was left over, the best of the Southwest Conference, and then the Big 8. Yeah. It really, I, I, think, it, I, think, I think you can give the Big 12 credit for that. Yep, yep, I think so as well. And, and, and I will say this, even as Texas prepares for its move to the Southeastern Conference and a move that, it, that I've said was – inevitable mm-hmm. for both Texas and for Oklahoma, even as, as that is on the horizon. Uh, I'm glad to see that, you know, with a new television contract uh, and new leadership with Brett Yormark there, because it had to happen uh, yeah. there. Um, you know, I often said that Bob Bowlesby's office was the desk from which a thousand indecisions <laughs> have been launched. You know, it just, it was reactive, not proactive. So they had to be reactive with Texas and Oklahoma mm-hmm. leaving, and they have been. And uh, and now Brett Yormark's been a little more proactive with stuff. So it looks like the conference is set up for success in the future, even after losing Texas and Oklahoma. And I do, for the Big 12, I do like the fact that adding Houston to the conference 
with Houston, TCU, Baylor, and Texas Tech, you still you still got a little bit of that Southwest sure. Conference feel in the Southern region of the Big Twelve. Yeah, so that's that's kind of cool. That is. That is. Um, no, I just wanted to kind of yep. wax poetic on the Southwest Conference sure. for a little bit while I was thinking about it. Uh, one football note I do want to mention though: uh, get over horns twenty four seven again. My man Hudson Standish has a really good notes package, uh, and if you want to read my game recap from last night, all my notes and nuggets from the Texas win over Creighton last night. By the way, real quick, Craig. You think that's enough? Depending on what U of H does, I forgot who U of H plays this week, uh, this weekend. But you think that's enough in the eyes of some AP voters to push Texas up to number one? No, not if Houston holds serve. Okay, if 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 if, if they win this weekend, they'll they'll still be number. Just one. wanted to put that out there. Yeah. Um, so I went uh, the other day after that. Those seven guys announced that they were headed to the transfer portal when it opens mm-hmm. on Monday off the Texas roster. I went through some of the position groups that I felt like Texas should probably attack in the portal. Inside backer was one, safety, wide receiver we know about, offensive line, you know, maybe quarterback, depending on how Sark feels about Malik Murphy as his backup. Uh, but uh, Hudson mentions this in that notes package. Don't be surprised if Texas looks to add a high-caliber interior defensive lineman if there's one out there and it makes sense. Because while you've still got – you know. Devondre Sweat, it looks like he's coming back. You know, Byron Murphy, Alfred Collins, Vernon Broughton. Still got a really good core. Do you add one and just continue to say, hey, the strength of our defense unquestionably is going to be the interior D-line group? So I think that's that's one. And, you know, depending on if Texas gets Anthony Hill, maybe all of a sudden inside backer doesn't become as much of a need. So that's just something to think about. Texas may be adding uh, an interior D lineman from the portal. Again, that's going to be a lot of the portal stuff, Craig. As you know, it's dependent on not only what your needs are, but what's in the portal. You're not just you're not just going to take a safety from the portal just right. because you need a safety. You got to make sure it's the right guy. And I'm not just singling out safety. I'm just saying that goes for any position. I think it's, that's how Texas is looking at the offensive line right now. If they feel like there's somebody that could come in and potentially really help them be a starting caliber player uh, in case one of the freshmen that you're planning on playing significant reps next year doesn't take off this spring or something happens during the summer, you want to make sure you're protected. So I think that's kind of what it would be. I don't want to use the term insurance policy because Bo Davis, I thought, did a really good job through 12 games of rotating those guys, making sure the snaps were distributed pretty much how they needed to be. Uh, whoever they would bring in would get a requisite number of snaps to be able to make an impact. So just something to keep an eye on. If Texas targets an interior D lineman in the portal, don't be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. There is our Longhorn notebook for this hour. And, uh, and again, uh, Texas women play tonight, 6 o'clock at Moody Center against South Florida, 545 pregame start time, tip off at 6 and uh, Texas volleyball in action tonight at 8 o'clock at Gregory Gym's second-round tournament action against Georgia. We'll be back to wrap up today's edition of Light the Tower on the Horn, 1049-1019, AM 1260. We're live local and on FM.com.